they got lots of pretty women steal your money then they break your heart lonesome sushi's in love with old sam taken from the fire into the frying pan on and on she just keeps on trying and she smiles when she feels like crying on and on on and on on and on hey everybody welcome back to the hustle it's john lamoro all right this week is the one and only stephen bishop now, I have had a soft spot for Steven most of my life. I find so much of his music, and especially his voice, so endearing. And after Tim Capello and I kind of bonded over our love for him in episode 64, I believe, I thought it was time to see if maybe Steven would come on the show, and luckily he agreed. He has a brand new album out called Blueprint. We talk about it in here. If you're a fan of Stephen Bishop, you owe it to yourself to check it out. There's some really great stuff on there. I'll be honest, I think I may have made him mad a couple of times in here. To me, Stephen is a balladeer. And I think maybe I went into this conversation with some preconceived ideas of who Stephen is or what he might be about that he didn't really appreciate. And I think it made him, I think it upset him a couple of times. I feel really bad about that because as I just said, I'm, I love Stephen Bishop. The last thing you want to do is upset your heroes. But I think maybe I did that, I don't know. To prepare for the conversation, I was listening to all these interviews with him on other podcasts and everything, and they're great. And Steven especially is such a funny, affable guest every single time. But a lot of those kind of covered the same ground, which is basically just the bio section of his website. And I, you know, as I normally do, I kind of want to go in some different directions, look at some of this stuff from a different angle, and maybe I just didn't do a good enough job of preparing him for that, but... Anyway, I love Stephen Bishop. Let it be known. I thought this was an interesting conversation, even if he was mad at me. I forgot to find out where he lives, and I didn't email him afterwards, because like I said, I don't think he liked me very much. But I'm pretty sure he lives in San Diego. So let's just say that Stephen called me from his home in San Diego. The podcast is called The Hustle, and I call it that because I like to talk to the artists that I don't feel like I hear enough from and find out how they're doing and what they're doing. And we touch on kind of the money side of things, you know. Can you, how do you pay your bills? How do you maintain a career? How do you not keep your name out there? Not easy for us artists that have been around. There's ageism, and it's like, you know, it's a real thing. It's like they, yeah. they just assume that, you know, if you're an old guy ready to kick off, that... <laughs> right. You built up your reputation when the music industry was healthy. And you can continue to live off that. People don't always get that opportunity, no, you know. Lately, it's been more me traveling, you know. It's just, yeah. You know, I'm not, I know people like to see artists and stuff in concert, but it's it's uh, it's a good thing. It's I'm glad I can do it. It's just uh, this year I'm traveling a lot more. I'm I'm going to West Springfield, uh, wow. uh, Massachusetts in two weeks, and I'm doing this festival called the Big E. And then I go on to other places, and it's like, you know, to be doing this after all these years, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah. Do you want to do it after all these years? I mean, you've had success. I don't know if it's been so overwhelming that you could stop touring altogether and live comfortably for the rest of your life. Definitely. Or is there a, is there a part of it where it's like, I've got to keep doing this? 
not to that level yet. No. Uh, now okay. I have a family, you know, and a wife, and a and a stepson, and a, two dogs, and yeah. I did have a I did have a pig a, a, a year ago. My wife <laughs> my wife got a, a little pig. It was called a teacup pig. It was just this oink 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 little pig that drove me out of my mind. I lived with it for a year, so now we really? two dogs. Oh, did the pig? Now I've heard pigs make good pets, but do they? Is this a pig that can actually come inside your house, or is it outside somewhere? My wife has this benevolent, you know, feeling about uh, all animals, and she loved this little pig, and she let it on the bed. It got under the covers. It, it ripped <laughs> up the sheets. It it went into my stash, and got uh. and it was like outside, you know, uh, loaded and everything. Sure. <laughs> that was that was a weird one. Yeah, I bet. Going, oh, there's a fog upon LA. <laughs> <laughs> you got a high pig she, running uh, around the yard. He was okay after a little while. Okay, good. I'm sure. Uh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Wow. So, okay. So, yeah. So, this touring. I mean, if you want to, you know, maintain a certain level of financial comfort, you're going to have to tour. You're in that position. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was curious about that. It's just I've been doing really well this year. I mean, I got all sorts of stuff that I'm I'm doing, but I really want to promote my album. You know, I really want to yes. get it out there. And and I've got a vehicle in that. Uh, have you ever heard of this thing called Ramp? It's an online column for um, disc jockeys. You know, so I'm really advertised there. So I so hopefully I get some radio play. Oh, killer. Yeah, I've been listening to Blueprint. It's interesting. When I I've always wanted to, so I started this thing about a year and a half ago, and I've always wanted to reach out to you. But I've heard you on other podcasts, and I thought I don't want to go back into our Garfunkel and playing the clarinet and I, all the stuff that I've heard you tell a million times. I want to bring something different to it. Like and the other day, I did that many interviews. <laughs> well, I I don't know if you have, but I feel like I, in preparation to talk to you, I've been listening to a bunch of them. And I thought, well, I think I could. I, th- I want to talk about other stuff. And after I reached out to you, I realized you had a new album out. And so I've been listening to that album a lot. And it's really good. I especially like, let me tell you what I like, since I know you care about my opinion on all of this. I love Everyone's Gone to the Moon. Streets full of people. Houses never home, church full of singing out of tune. Everyone's gone to the Coming out in the middle of 
I love I'll Sleep on the Plane. I think those are my two favorites on there. I know people like I'll Sleep on the Plane. I don't know if it's like a single kind of thing, but I'd say like probably on almost all of my albums, maybe with the exception of my first album, I've always had like weird songs. I have two styles of writing. I have my, you know, my mushy side. I love you. I uh-huh. love you. And I'm looking for love, finding love, something about uh-huh. love. Yep. And then I had my weird, strange style. Of, I, I had a, uh, I've had songs on almost every album, you know. Where, where yeah, I've noticed. Go to college on Red Cab to Manhattan, or yep. Or I had a song called What Love Can Do on my second album, this, which was a weird song. There's a cat howling. You can hear him cross town. But it's a starlit night Put a smile on that frown You got time to kill So let's smash the clock Jack up the jukebox Crank up the rocket Sauce all in your shoes Got a nose for the news Tell me why the millionaire Is set you love That you don't know what love can do. Yeah, oh, I've noticed. I've been poring over all your stuff lately. And so some of it I already had, but it, I mean, I've just been listening to nothing but Stephen Bishop lately just to get in the right mindset. But yeah, there's a lot of that. So I was going to ask you about that because something that's very apparent about you, both in the interviews and in these songs that you're talking about, is that you're obviously a pretty fun-loving guy. I mean, you're, you know, you're in the Blues Brothers, for crying out loud. So you've got a good sense of humor. And yet your, your ballads are the most sad, languid, crooner, just pouring the heart out kind of heart being ripped out sort of songs ever. And I just think that's a really interesting dichotomy. Yes, you do allow yourself to be this funny guy a couple of times on your albums, yeah. but you're a ballad man. And I've always wondered where does that, I mean, are you noticed, do you notice this? I mean, that you're, you're kind of yeah. really extreme on both sides. Hey, I, I, I've always had, you know, in the old days I had girls who went out with me, you know, because yeah. I was the singer and because I was so deep and, Right. <laughs> and then I would go out with them and be goofy or something. Yeah. They, I remember this one girl at my reunion. She had played my first album. And uh, somehow I, I wound up going home with her and getting biblical. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never forget what she said. She said, you know what? You're not like your album. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that. That's true. And I was they like, think they're getting this bleeding heart guy, and you're more like a comedian. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, you know, you got, there's different dimensions. Everybody has just different dimensions, including songwriters. I mean, I, I, I'd uh, be boring if I was just one type of person. No, I know. I just think they're at such they're at such extremes. Your person. I mean, and I don't know you at all. I'm just basing basing this on 32 years or whatever of watching you. You know, 34 in my case. For instance, 
I read or heard you made the, make the comment, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people. This is kind of known that it's easier to write these love songs when you're heartbroken versus when you're happy. But you write so many ballads. I'm just thinking, are you unhappy all the time? Is this is this comedian guy that's so funny and affable? I mean, are you really trying? You know, so many of us we have we have to put that facade on and social interactions and whatnot. How would you categorize yourself? Are you at heart more of like a sensitive, sad guy, or are you kind of both still? I always think it's funny when people ask me this. Uh, I, I did run into this problem with girls, uh, you know, when I was uh, dating in the olden days. I would have that problem, you know, where they would expect me to be this heavy, deep guy, and then I was mm-hmm. funny or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, that's, everybody has different dimensions, and, and everybody has, you know, uh, different qualities in their personality where they, you know, for me, I, I am a, you know, my songs are like, like a song like on that blueprint with She's Not Mine. That was, that was written uh, right after the, my first divorce. The light has faded in the blue room Where love has strayed And in the colors of her darkness She turns away From the kind of hurt Tears your heart to pieces And then you say goodbye Well I don't see her anymore It's for the best I guess and I don't see her anymore So I kill time Thinking that she's not mine Well, I was really raw. I yeah. was wrecked back then. So you can hear it in the song. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a heavy song. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, that's that's just what I do, I guess. Okay. I that's, that, that's what you do. I could see that. Sure. Did you okay. hear my first album, right? Oh, yeah. I have that album. Sure. Well, I mean, Mad. I, I, I wrote Mad. That was a heavy song back then. Oh, totally. It was 1927 and the world on my feet. Pretty girl on each arm, my family was so proud of me. I built a lot of buildings, store half of them down. One by one, they all crumbled just like me. But like a storm in a teacup, like a smile sent down from heaven. Madge, I loved you then and I love you now. Totally. I was re-listening to that today. Yes, that's a very happy song. There's a lot of those. That's what I'm saying is that every album has like two or three, if not more, of those kind of songs, you know? And when you made that comment about writing those are easier when you're su- when you're sad, 
and you have so many. I'm thinking, is Stephen Bishop this funny guy? Is he sad all the time? I don't know. I'm definitely not sad all the time. Okay, so I wanted to ask you, first of all, i got to tell you how, how you play into my life. I'm 43, and when Tootsie came out, I was nine. For me, that was really the age when I started to kind of become aware. You know, I was watching a lot of Solid Gold back then. You know, some kids grew up on American Bandstand. I grew up on Solid Gold, you know. That was really my awakening. About three times, I think. I know. I know this very well, Stephen. This is how I – you're – so so this is the age of when I'm – you know, your awakening of, oh, there's popular music, and it comes on the radio, and it gets played every so often if you keep listening, and you might like the next song too, and you start to have your first favorite songs and stuff like that. Well, It Might Be You was one of those songs that was hitting me hard at that very – the very beginning of my blossoming into loving music. And so because of that, you became, for me, sort of a that guy. You know how, like, there's a lot of actors that are that guys, and whenever you see them, they're like, hey, there's that guy. I like that guy. Whenever he shows up in something, I like him. And you were kind of a that guy for me, except that I knew your name, and I was always looking out for it. So when I would, and you're in movies all the time, so when I'm seeing something like The Money Pit, and here you are singing this theme song. I'm like, hey, there's my guy. I love Stephen Bishop. There he is. I'm so happy to hear that. I feel your every breath. I hear the words you say. And I keep turning back to hear the music play. I'll make no promises. Those promises can break. That stuck with me for whatever. What are we, 34 years later now? And you're a that guy for me. So I just wanted you to know that you've made an impact in my life that way. All right. Yeah. Well, that's um, something positive, right? I never did any, never talked about how great the devil, <laughs> devil was or anything. You know, no. Like, like Marilyn Manson, so I didn't have no. a bad effect on you. <laughs> no, you had a positive effect on me. You've had a sentimental place in my heart since I was old enough to know that I liked music and cared about it. And so I've always had a soft spot for you. So I want you to know that. But something I've always been curious about, you'll have to explain this to me, how the business side of all this works. Because in my mind, Tootsie's song comes out and it's big and you're, you've got a big hit with it. 
And then there's not really a Stephen Bishop album until 1989. And I know you're doing a lot of movie music at that point, and I know they're sleeping with girls, and that only comes out in Asia, and that was kind of a unique one-off. But to me, it's like, where did Stephen go when he was at his hottest? I'm confused. And I've always wondered that. Can you you explain that to me? Well, you know, the, the, the way it worked in the music biz, you know, sometimes you just don't get the you work on getting a new album or getting a new deal with a new company, and it's a mm-hmm. lot about business. Yeah. And people don't understand that it's, you know, because for some reason or another, you couldn't record an album. Is that because a business, a, a label wasn't going to pay you to do it? Is that because you couldn't come up with anything at the time? Because like I said, I would think you were pretty hot right then. I would, I would think people would want to be in the Stephen Bishop business. I was trying to get a record deal back then, I think. Really? Uh, Warner Brothers, I was stuck on Warner Brothers for a while. I had an album that I did in 83 with Gus Dudgeon. Uh, yeah. Elton John. It was an album that was originally called Sleeping With Girls. Then it was called right. Separate Lies. Then it never came out. But songs from it came out on yes. different albums. I think I had heard you say that that only came out in Asia. And was just it was tied somehow to the promotion of the song on the Mickey and Maude soundtrack or something like that, right? Right, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is that at a time, in the, now this is purely from an outsider's perspective, I'm seeing this guy who's got a big hit that I'm now turned on to, and I'm wondering when new music is going to come out from him, and it's a while. Are you telling me that there's things like the Sleeping With Girls album, maybe you're not the hottest thing where some label is beating down your door, but you're maintaining your your presence, and you're, um, you're staying in the business through things like, even if it is releasing an album in, just in Asia, that's what you've got to do to kind of stay in the game, lots of movie music, that kind of a thing? Well, at that point, I wanted to put an album out, and that was like the only way to do it, through this weird way, you know? And then as yeah. a result, uh, life is so strange, but I, in the Philippines, every time, I've been to the Philippines now ten times. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, very popular in the Philippines. Yeah. I saw that. What's the deal? It's a weird thing, but I have all these hits there. They just, tons of hits. There was one song called, um, 
I guess I wanted something new in my life. I guess I wanted something new in my life. New keys to fit a new door. To wake and see a different view in my life. been waiting for dreams like everyone I've had a few in my life who knew that this one would come true in my life I knew the moment when you touched me you touched me Mm-hmm. Theme of Thinking in Mod is written by Alan Marilyn Bergman and uh, one of those French composers. But that song, because of that album, some disc jockey or something in Asia played it, and, that, and it became a giant hit over there in Asia. Really? Yeah, wow. Huge. So every time I go to the Philippines, I have to do this song, even though people <laughs> here don't know it. <laughs> and it's a bitch of a song to sing, too. God. Really? <laughs> That's great. Wow. Yeah, what do you think that is with the Asian market? Last year I talked to Bertie Higgins. Do you remember Bertie Higgins? Key Largo. Yeah, Key Largo. He's in kind of the same boat where he's kind of a cult artist at this point like you with hits back in the back in the day that he can still Wait, wait, wait. I am in no way compared to Bertie Higgins. You don't think so? Much more than Bertie Higgins. Oh, totally. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. Well, I had uh, four hits. Yes, you did. Yes, you did have. He only had one. Uh, I think he had a second that barely scraped the top 40. Yes, yes, yes. I meant in terms of kind of the time frame, the soft rock, and you're both very big in the Pacific Rim. That's what I. That's what I meant. Singer, songwriter, guy, like. Like. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, plus he's working the pirate angle for just, I don't know how you continue to do that, but he does. But anyway, I was talking to him about this. Did you get my bio? Yeah, I've read your bio. Oh, good, good. I was trying to remember my thing in my bio. Because my bio shows, like, I've been recorded by so many different people. Oh, yeah, no kidding. I'm afraid that you feel offended that I was comparing you to Bertie Higgins. No, I was, no, I'm, I'm not. Okay, I know that you're way more successful. I was just saying in terms of big at around the same time doing soft rock and are still now big in the Asian market and can tour over there very successfully. You had way more hits, way more success for sure. I'm sorry if that... No, that's I didn't all right. That's right. Okay. Is he touring? Okay. What's that? Is he touring? Yes. He was telling me all about it. He goes out like every six weeks, every other year, and he's basically made his nut for like the next year. It's it's successful enough that he, he can, you know, one trip out there for six weeks hitting all the right spots, and he's made his money, and he's good for a while. Jeez. With yeah. Yeah. And I just thought that was fascinating because, and this is where that comparison comes in, because you two in the soft rock vein, and I hear this from a lot, you were on the Inside Music cast 
podcast, which I love that podcast. And they talk to a lot of people from that same era, Robbie Dupree, uh, the Toto guys, that kind of stuff. Asian market still eats up a lot of that stuff where America doesn't. Why do you think that is? Two years ago, I was in Asia. I, I did Hong Kong. I did the Philippines. I did Malaysia. I did Indonesia. I was surprised at uh, and Singapore. I was mm. surprised when I was walking down the streets in Singapore. It's like American music coming out of everywhere. Really? I mean, in all the stores, it's like surfing USA. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh, it is. It is. It's a... Would you, I mean, at this point, I would imagine that feeds into sustaining you pretty heavily, right? I mean, does that, does your success over there play a big part into, you know, sustaining you financially and creatively and artistically even now in a big way? Or is it more of a small piece? No, no. Everything's small. (laughs) Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Try imagining, like, building, having a career... Uh, for like 40 years and having to sustain yourself. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, it goes, you go up and down and, you know, all sorts of stuff. But uh, for right now, it, 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 everything's great, and I'm doing these shows that 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 do well. So I'm mm-hmm. playing with Ambrosia. They back me up or Firefall. What's the plan? I mean, in the States, I, you were saying you were going to New York soon i mean do you ever like i you know you're never going to come to denver are you i'm not going to get to see you maybe to do some drug deals <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true you can come here and, people uh, move to denver. you hear that a lot every time i go to a show everyone's like well so you know pot's legal here now so i'm sure every band that comes through they'll keep that revenue coming in for sure yeah i bet <laughs> yeah no, that's okay true. you know it's uh I don't know if I might be in Denver. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm in other places. I'm going to be in Wilmington, well, North Carolina, and oh, you are okay. That's what I meant. Was I didn't know if you just played select spots in Southern California and maybe a few on the Northeast Coast, and that was pretty much it. You know, for some reason, the agents here always book me on the East Coast. It's like I, I there's no, there's a million things here on the West Coast. I never get booked in the West Coast. All oh. the East Coast. So oh, I'm weird. always traveling, and I, I, I'm not a big, you know, I, I travel more than anybody I know. Yeah. And, uh, oh, man, I just hate planes. I hate to travel. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're just sitting there, and they're yelling at you. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> Especially after 40 years, you'd like to think you didn't have to do that anymore. You know? I know, and my wife wants to go everywhere. She just wants to, I want to travel. I want to visit the moon. You know, <laughs> You're like, look, I've been doing God. this. It's not that fun anymore. It's just not the same, you know. It's like, yeah. But you know, I do it. It's fun. The best thing apart about it is, the, you know, just performing on stage for great people, and you know, you, sure. the audiences are really nice, and uh, I get nice people to meet and greet, and it's become a way of life. In the Philippines, it's totally different. It's, it's just there's so many. They have. Such a thing with um, Facebook over there. They want to take a picture with you in it. And they're just like, Mr. Bishop, I want to take your photo, Mr. Bishop. Only one photo, please. Please, Mr. Bishop. One photo. Oh, that's crazy. 
They want the photo too. Those people and, and those people over there on the ridge, they want the photo. <laughs> Like, has the has the the Philippines always sustained you, or is it getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the years go on, or smaller even? I've been going to the Philippines since 1980. Oh, geez. Okay. So they've always loved you. They're they're used to me, but That's you know great. I'm probably gonna go back in February for the okay. Valentine's thing. Well, you gotta go where they love you, right? And if they're still buying Stephen Bishop albums and there's still a demand, you gotta go fulfill that. Yeah, sure. No, I know. It's just the jet lag that kills me. Yeah, I can imagine. That oh long, my gosh. I don't know how you do it. 16-hour flight, you know, and then you're yeah. a zombie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you do it. Okay, I want to ask you some questions that some of my listeners asked me to propose to you. All right. One of which, this one is fun. So uh, a previous guest of mine was a guy named Tim Capello. I don't know if you know who Tim Capello is. No. Okay. So he has been a very successful sort of session saxophonist for almost 40 years, as long as you've been around. He played with Tina Turner for a long time. He played with Peter Gabriel, Garland Jeffries. His most notable claim to fame is if you remember the movie The Lost Boys, that vampire movie from the 80s? Yeah, yeah, I do. You, okay, so there's a scene in that movie where this really greased-up, super-buff saxophone player is singing a song on the boardwalk, and there's these barrels of fire everywhere. He's that guy. And we were having a really interesting conversation recently. Because he looks the way he does, and he's got this long hair and everything, I was asking him why he had never had a solo album and because uh, the song that he has on that soundtrack is called uh, I Still Believe, and it's kind of heavy, and it's very emotive and dark. And he was saying, well, you know what's really surprising to a lot of people is that people found out that I wasn't really that guy. What I was really into was Stephen Bishop. And so we were bonding over our mutual love of you. And uh, in his case, it was funny because he just doesn't look... Uh, no offense, I don't know what a Stephen Bishop fan looks like, but conventional wisdom would tell you that Tim Capello is not what the typical Stephen Bishop fan would look like. Anyway. Okay. So, so he asked me to... Different fans. Oh, I know, I know. But he's this super... At the time, in 1987, when he's getting some attention for being this buffed-up guy who's singing this really hard song, and then he wants to deliver a solo album... It sounds like Stephen Bishop. The label was not super keen on that at that oh. moment. Yes. So he asked me to ask you, Mike Manieri, who produced Red Cab to Manhattan. Oh, Mike Manieri, yeah. Yeah, told him one time that when you sang a ballad, you really wanted to get into it. And uh, you liked the way that it sounded when you were at home. So yeah. you brought your living room furniture into the studio and sang songs lying on the sofa. And he said, is he really that much of a twisted genius? I think what one of the, no, I didn't. But <laughs> what I did was, at one point I remember I sang on the floor. You did? I was lying on the floor, and they recorded me on the floor. I remember that, and they thought it was funny. Okay. Was that just more comfortable for you? I just, you know, did it to goof off. Oh, okay. Okay. No, you can't really sing on the floor. <laughs> well, it didn't seem like it, but... I don't no. know. You you know, you artists, you do crazy things sometimes. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Done crazy things. Yeah. Okay, another listener of mine, his name's Paul Underwood, and he and I were bonding over how much we loved the Bowling in Paris album. Oh, 
Well, I'm, that's good. Some I, fans don't. <laughs> that's their least favorite album, some fans. I know. I can imagine, and I'll ask you more about that in a minute. Uh, personally, and I'm sure this is because I'm a product of the 80s, I don't mind the production. It sounds like all the other good music that I liked around that time. Yes, it's dated, but my ears are just attuned to that anyway. In fact, uh, I was listening to another interview you did where you were saying how in your face that production was, and you're not super keen on it, but that is like, you know, that's what that's the sound I grew up on, you know? No, I'm, I'm keen on it. I'm keen on okay. everything. Okay, good. He wanted, first of all, he said, you'll like this, I think I know what love is, is a song that cinched the fact that he had found the love of his life, and 25 years later, he and his then-girlfriend are still married. wanted you to know that this song of yours was what kind of crystallized that moment for him. I wow. thought that was a nice compliment to you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I wrote that with my friend Jeff Jones. Yeah, I've seen his name pop up on a few things. I don't know much about him. Yeah, he was in my band. He's like one of probably my best friend. Uh now unfortunately he's got uh he's got MS and Parkinson's. Oh, oh no. Both, but he's he was a He's a great writer and a great guy, and uh, good. And we we're, you know, we've been good buddies for years and years. Okay, cool. So Paul wanted to know specifically how you got mixed up with Phil Collins. Now I'm guessing it had something to do with the song you had on the Frida album.
you know, I was friends with uh, Eric Clapton and his girlfriend, Patty, yep. uh, back then, in the olden days. Uh, back, you know, I, I, he, uh, Eric played on my album in 76. So he invited me over to his castle in, in England and uh, <laughs> out there for a couple of weeks. And I used to go there and stay there sometimes when I was in England. And one of the times in 78, Patty introduced me to this guy with a big beard, and that was Phil Collins. Uh-huh. And I knew about Genesis. I had heard about them as a fusion group or something, but I, sure. I hadn't heard them at that point. And so I got. she gave me a couple of... VHS tapes that I listened to, uh, Genesis, and, uh, you know, they sounded great and everything. And, yeah. Uh, and Phil wound up wanting to produce me, and he he was he was influenced by my first album. He he was, I think, he, the songwriting influenced Wow. I sang on Face Value. I okay. thought Frida came first, but you're right. I guess Face Value probably came first. Yeah. Uh, this Must Be Love I sang on, and... Yeah. Oh, another one of his albums that do you remember? It must be Okay, so that and that sort of relationship is that why, you know, because he produced that Frida album. I know there's something going on. I believe that's the name. Right, of it. that's right. They did. Um, Tell me it's over. That's, he yeah. wrote that song of mine from a demo. I had sent him my demos years ago. Okay. And he knew that song, so he he wound up doing it with her. Yeah. His production on that album. That's a great album, and it and it's really there it's are, kind there of more along great stuff on that album. Yeah. Yes, I love it. And it's heavier, too, and you're not necessarily known for writing these heavy songs. Did I've you, written all wrote... sorts of different songs. That's what people yeah, that's have true. misnomer about me. Okay. I'm not just a balladeer. I've written tons of different songs. I can you do have. everything. I was in a group called The Weeds in high school. Yeah. I, I came from rock and roll. I didn't come okay. from ballad land. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, I know. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. No, I, I just... That's all right. But, well, you know, when I think I mean, of you, you're so like, good at those ballads, you know? I know, I know, but I, 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 I do a, a lots of different things. Yeah, I know you do. I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to pigeonhole you. I love you, I don't want you to be, to think that I just think you're one thing. I'm sorry about that. But the, I'm going to start to cry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't cry. Neither of us will cry. How's that? And uh, Paul, the listener, wanted to know if uh, Phil was as obsessed with the Alamo back then. I think he no. was kidding about that. But no, as far as you knew, you didn't have long conversations about the Alamo? Um, we didn't start talking about the Alamo till you know, probably the 90s. Really? I mean, How did that come I up? Remember. 
I mean, because I wound up recording. I was always a big Alamo guy, and I went to, to the Alamo in San Antonio about I don't know 15 years ago and had a ball. I just loved really? it. Really? Oh, it was the best. Yeah. And he's like that too. He loves all that stuff. Yeah. I have the history of it, and I recorded Davy Crockett, the theme song, um, on this album that he knew about, you know. So I, I beat him oh, to it. Interesting. Wow. Boy, I had no idea. You love that time of history, too. That's yeah. Fascinating. That album, the album that I did Davy Crockett theme on uh, was an album called For the Children. It was a like an album for pediatric AIDS um, and and. McCartney's on it, Bruce Springsteen. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really good. I, they're I all doing songs, so I did Davy Crockett. Oh, interesting. I was watching a clip of you on Politically Incorrect talking about how that was one of the first, I think that's what it was. I've watched so many interviews of you lately, I'm, I might be mixing them up. But I remember you saying that that was like your first, when you realized, you know, you put words and a melody and a song and you were just a kid, and that was one of your first favorite songs. Do I have that right? Which song? Oh, Davy Crockett? Davy Crockett, yeah. 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 That was um, Coins in a Fountain. Oh, really? Three Coins in a Fountain. I used to sing that song as I was sweeping the walk in front of my house, you know, when I was like four. Really? <laughs> wow. Another one of my listeners, named Howard, he wanted to know... And you probably get asked this a lot. I can't imagine you're still in contact with Karen Allen, but because of separate yeah. lives and that I being a hit. The other day, yeah. We're still you fine. did? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Has she ever said or, or communicated to you how she feels about being tied to this famous song? You called me from the room in your hotel. Someone that you'd met Telling me how sorry you were Leaving so soon That you miss me sometimes When you're alone in your room Do I feel lonely? Yeah, it's a great song. Okay. I just wondered if there had ever been kind of an interesting conversation about uh, that. I, I remember I played it for her, you know, a, a, about a week after I wrote it, or a couple of weeks. 
you know, I, I, I always thought it was an angry song. You know, I looked mm-hmm. at it a different way. Um, I, 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 I thought the chorus was angry. You have no right to ask me how I feel, right? Sure. But she always thought it was beautiful, so mm. I was like, oh, no. I wanted her to think it was angry. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. I could see both sides, yeah. It it's okay. a beautiful expression of anger. We'll call it that. There you go. I'll, I'll sell yeah. it. Okay. Now, you worked with somebody that I have a lot of affection for, and I would give anything to talk to him. In fact, he's he would basically be one of the inspirations for why I even started this podcast, because I miss him, and that's Andrew Gold. Oh, I think it's um, Randy Newman. <laughs> he, I just, I loved him. And he was, a, he was somebody who, again, had these hits and was really active there for a while, and then... And I discovered him much later, and so I'm coming at this as a collector who wants to kind of get my hands on a lot of Andrew Gold stuff, and it gets a little more obscure kind of throughout the 80s and 90s and whatnot. Tell me some stories about Andrew Gold. Well, Andrew Gold was one of my good friends for many years. Uh, He's a very complicated person. Really? How? Well, let's see. Uh, Let's start off by saying his father was... um, Ernest Gold, who wrote uh, the theme to Exodus, and was considered one of the greatest composers in Los Angeles. And then his mother was the great Marnie Nixon, yeah. who uh, ghost sang on uh, King and I and uh, West Side My Story. My Fair Lady, I think uh, West Side Story, if I remember right. Oh, she yeah. did a lot of them. So Yeah, she just died recently, as I'm sure From you know. that lineage... Mm-hmm. That's, that's a you know a little tricky you know that's a, that's a you know he had a complicated uh, upbringing and um, you know he's probably he was probably one of the most talented people I've ever known I mean really enormous talent I mean well we did an album together called Blue Guitars. On first impression. I found you Too good to be true You touched my cheek Said you'll do I was shaking in my shoes Cause I never thought the stranger attraction Would give me such a strong I love that album. Yeah, it's a good one. Really proud of that one. I don't know. It's just you know I have a lot of feelings about it. We were oh. good friends. He 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 wanted to have too much fun. That's that's the, I guess that's the main thing. Really? Too much fun. You can have too much fun. Yeah. And when you have too much fun, like dangerous fun. Yes. He wanted to. Yes. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's too much. I'm not talking about bungee jumping. <laughs> no, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. <laughs> you know, I get what you're saying. He's somebody that I feel like never quite got his due. 
You know what I mean? Well, he and, did in a lot of ways, but, I mean, he, he was very successful. You know, I mean, he had that song, uh, Thank You for Being a Friend. That was, like, sure. a huge, huge hit. On yeah. That was the theme of Golden Girls, and they, they paid yeah. him, like, all this money, and, you know, he, he did really well. He was sure. the number one guy for doing guitar solos in town for years. Was he really? Every That's good. See, I don't know that solo. stuff. Every time he needed a guitar solo, he was the guy. I used him many times. Oh, wow. Okay, that's good. Well, why did he make less and less music then as he went along? Did he just not have to anymore, or did he have – was it conflicted feelings based on his parents? What, no, what was no, going on? he just got in more into producing, you know. He was okay. always doing music, always doing music. But, you know, okay. people are like, you know, you know music companies, record companies – they take a chance on you, and then you you make money for them, or you 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 know you sell records yeah. or sell CDs or whatever you sell, you know, and then they use you up. And then <laughs> yeah, right. They don't care about right. just sustaining you. So, I mean, he he did uh, produce a lot of different people and stuff. He was doing that for a long time. Okay. But, you know, he produced America and he did sure. stuff. But you know, he's. He was a good friend. I miss him so much. We're really yeah. good friends with his widow, Leslie. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, okay. Yeah, I, uh, he, boy, he's somebody that I would just die to talk to. I'd love to get to know that guy better. I think he's... Uh, you're going to have to die to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, I'll, one day, one day, we'll see. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, one other question I had for you. Is there, I mean, with so many movie, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, with all the movie songs, is there ever a possibility of having some kind of a movie compilation? Is it just too difficult to get the rights to all those songs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be, I mean, you know, nobody, it's so hard these days to get people interested in buying CDs or getting music. It's like, it's like little by little people are fading phasing out of music. It's like yeah. I, I can't even believe it. You know, when I was when I was a teenager uh growing up and I, I used to or even you know, as an adult, I used to love to get an album, look at all the credits, see who wrote mm-hmm. the song. I mean, I, that was like such a big part of it. Of hearing mm-hmm. a new album by somebody you really like. Yeah. And it's like people just don't have that interest. They don't have the interest of seeing the cover. They don't right. have the interest of seeing who wrote it. They don't have the interest of, you know, anything but just the actual song. Yeah. And it's it's a sad commentary on on humans these days. Cause yeah. Because the old days, it was great. I mean. I know. I agree. I mean, you get an album, you dissect it, you know. Yeah. So I try and yeah. include all that information still on the CD, you know. Yeah. You know, who wrote what and who plays on what. That's good. I'm still a CD collector. It, you know, that begs a question that I had for you, and we were talking about bowling in Paris earlier. For someone like you whose career has spanned so many decades, I mean, have you – does the approach to does – the, does the – whatever the latest in sort of technology is and production process – does that ever alter how you go about writing songs? Because you're, you know, you hit it big in the late '70s. The Bowling for Paris album, as much as I like it, it seems like kind of an outlier. But then there's Blue Guitars in the '90s, 
and then there's, you know, you've got the the Rio album and your new blueprint, stuff like that. Do you ever change the way, does it change the way you approach your music when you think, uh, I've got to factor in this kind of production into this song? I'm, I'm not sure what you mean. Uh, what, what, what kind of production? Well, so, okay, so take Bowling, Bowling in Paris, for instance. Right. I really like those songs, right? The production on that album is obviously very 80s, right? Right. But I like that kind of production because I grew up on that. Well, the snare is really loud, yeah. Yeah, it is. And there's lots of synthesizers and stuff like that that yeah, was big yeah. at the time. So well, I mean, you listened to a Journey album back then, probably. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is that that was the sound? I mean, it, it was no different, and it was good. I mean, I like I said, you someone like me, you grow up on that sound. You're used to it. I love it. That's like coming home for me, you know. Yeah. So I'm wondering if. When you're writing the songs that become something like Bowling in Paris or even Blue Guitars Later or whatever, are you writing them the same way and production does, and it, you know, when the song is being, going through the machinations of becoming a song and being produced, that's all secondary? Or do you ever think about that stuff, those flourishes as like you're writing the writing song? writing it and stuff? Sure. Yeah, yeah. You do? Okay. Oh yeah. And how has that evolved? I mean, you've been around for so long. How has that evolved? <laughs> been around so long. <laughs> well, you have. You've been successful for 40 years. You said it yourself. I know. I know. I've been around. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think so. I think, like, for example, uh, the song you like on Blueprint, uh, I'll Sleep on the Plane. Uh -huh. You know, I have that middle part, you know. Yeah. Um, Bum, 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 you know, it's like it's a cool little solo statement. Out the window, throws all the money in the back of his jack, and the J's him through town. He's gonna be their new punching bag, but he lost him in Jersey. He's with this girl back home. Says I got a little money, pack your bags, we're going to Rome. I've been up. I'll sleep on the That was written into it, yeah. I mean, okay. To, actually, to tell you the truth, the actual album Blueprint is called Blueprint for a reason because uh, I wound up getting all my demos that I really liked and deciding I wanted to do an album from these demos as blueprints. The mm -hmm. demos acted as blueprints as, as far as where we were going to go. Right. Baby, that's what I feel. 
I was curious about something. You know, writing, obviously, like we were talking at the very beginning around a lot of love songs and stuff like that. Do you feel like at this point, you know, with 40 years of wisdom, do you feel like you're bringing any, what, do you, do you have a unique or a different take on a love song now than you might have then? I mean, because so much of the words don't really change. I mean, we people who sing about love today sing about it pretty much the same way they did in 1975. You know, but you I, personally, do you feel radio, like you're saying something different? Uh, it's interesting that you said that, because I was just, <laughs> just hearing on the radio and, and uh, that song by Drake, and, uh, you know, he goes, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to talk to you. I don't mm-hmm. know if you appreciate me. I can relate to this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. The, the, you, there's all sorts of different, um, you know. Uh, I just wrote a song with this girl, uh, Kate Shore, uh, came out really good called uh, "I Don't Want to Love You," uh, mm. and it was, you know, taking a little different approach to the whole love thing. Cool. Okay. But you, know, so you do feel like at this point you still have different and unique things to say about love. Oh yeah. After or forty years. Okay. Love or caterpillars, anything. Okay, I got one last question for you. All right, all right. When you look back on your career, what is just the most incredible memory? Keep in mind, most of the people I talk to on this podcast are lean more on the obscure side, and you're obviously not obscure. So you've had more experiences than a lot of the people I've talked to. But when you think, I mean, did you meet a hero? Was there a girl that came on to you? Was there a someone singing your song that you were shocked about or particularly good at the show you played, when you look back at your career and you're just like, man, 40 years, what is the greatest, coolest, top-of-the-mountain memory that comes to your mind? <laughs> oh, wow. That's something I'd have to think about. I mean, I have a lot of different memories, but uh, as far as coolest, something that I really enjoyed <laughs> Are you debating whether you Some can tell me? Some people would say, you know, oh, when you were on the Academy Awards, you know, I did it twice. Sure. Um, I'd say, you know, uh, when I, one of the things that was cool was when uh, I was in New York in, I think, 86, and I ran into Phil Ramone, the great producer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, he told me that the song that I had written with Eric Clapton called Holy Mother, which is also on Blueprint, that that song was just filmed with Pavarotti in Italy for this big festival.
So wow, I, wow, Pavarotti singing a song yeah. that I worked on. That's amazing. Yeah, wow, that, that was that's pretty. impressive. Yeah, that was pretty neat. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, cool. That's a good one. A lot of, a lot of amazing experiences. I'm sure you have. Oh my gosh, I would love to pick your brain about all that stuff. Just hear some of your best. For something different. I, I did What's a, that? I did a, a whole uh, a benefit tennis tournament um, for this. Uh, I don't know what what it was for. Prickly heat or bruised vegetable benefit or something. Okay. And uh, so this is like back about eighty nine. I wanted to play tennis, and so they said, they said uh, oh, we've got your uh, sparring partner um, down there. She's waiting for you. Uh, and I said, okay, okay, uh, what's her name? And they said, oh, we don't know, just check down there. And so I go down there. I go, oh, what's, do I know the partner? Do I, I mean, do I know the person I'm going to uh, play tennis against? Yeah, uh, her name's Patricia Hurst. What? Really? <laughs> Patty Hurst. <laughs> she was your tennis partner at this yeah. thing. She was. Yeah, I played tennis, and she kicked my ass. Really? She was an amazing <laughs> person. Oh, that's crazy! Isn't that wild. And she, we became friends. She's really. Oh, good. Yeah, she's a great, great person. Oh, good. Wow, that's wild. Isn't that funny? Yes. I can only imagine the kind of memories and stories and people that must be swarming around inside your brain. Oh, yeah. Fascinating, I would it's, imagine. It's, uh, you know. It's been 40 years, Stephen. It's a long time. Yeah. And I, yeah. I guess this is, I'll do, be doing it a lot, even longer. Yeah, got to keep going. Got to pay those bills. That's right. You got pigs and dogs to take care of. I got fans. I got fans I have to come up with stuff. I, for at least sure. I'm coming up with albums. I did. I did my album Be Here Then uh, two years ago, and then I mm-hmm. had this new album. So I'm trying to, you know, give them stuff to listen to. Let her go If you know my Little darling Could you tell her I've been On my knees Sending whispers Up to heaven To turn her Well, look, this was a huge honor for me, Stephen. Thank you. I have, uh, you've had a special place in my mind and in my heart since I was nine years old. And the fact that you would even give me some of your time is miraculous. So thank you so much for doing that. All right, my pleasure. There you have it, Stephen Bishop, warts and all. 
Uh, I wasn't sure exactly what song to play here at the end. There were some hits of his we didn't even talk about, but regular listeners to the podcast know that I have a thing for movie soundtracks, especially movies from the 80s, and since he has a ton of those, I thought we would play one that I really like. This is a song called One Love, and it's from the 1984 Dudley Moore movie, Unfaithfully Yours. Not that great of a movie, if I remember right, I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I love this song. So, if this is your first time joining us, this is what we do every week. We try to tell the stories about people who we love, artists that we love, that we don't hear enough from, and try and get their perspective on their careers, on how things turned out, what they do now to stay viable, stay creative, how they pay their bills, those kinds of things. You can go into iTunes and you can subscribe to the podcast. Just type in The Hustle Podcast. You can look for this logo, the yellow record, and you can find us and you can subscribe. You can write us a review if you want, good or bad, I don't care. You can find us on Facebook. You can like the page. And if there's somebody out there, some guests that you would like to come on, send me a note and we'll see if we can track those people down. I'm working on a few more of those right now. Send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for producing the podcast. Thank you, Yan, for all you do. We will talk to all of you next Tuesday. Thanks, everyone.